Welcome to the Money Maven Project Podcast. If you're here to learn how to obtain freedom over your time and money through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Create the life you want by living with intention and becoming a maven in mindset, money, and real estate. Now, here's your host, Justin Monk. All right, welcome to the Money Maven Project podcast. Super excited today. I think we've got a really cool guest. I'm excited to hear his background and story. We've got Chris Noggle here, and he has dedicated his life to being America's number one money mentor. His success includes managing over $30 million in assets in the financial services and advisory industry and tens of millions in real estate business. Uh, with over 200 transactions in an HDTV pilot show in 2014. So we got a lot to hear about here. Chris knows what it takes to build the foundations for true financial freedom, which is what the project's all about. In 20 years, he has built and owned 16 companies, with his businesses being featured in Forbes, ABC, and House Hunters. Today, Chris is the co-founder and CEO of Flip Out Academy, founder of The Money School, the money mentor for the money multiplier as an innovator and visionary in wealth building and real estate. He empowers others with the knowledge of how money works and how to use it or how to use that to break the chains of financial slavery. To date, he has spoken and taught to more than 10,000 Americans, man. I don't, I don't know when you're sleeping. That's incredible. I, I don't, like I told you, I worked 12 to 15 hours and that was, that was, after I was traveling three out of four weeks, you know, speaking across the country and doing masterminds and events. Yeah, man, it's a busy I, life, man. It's yeah, busy life. it's a big, big, big role to fill, man. Yeah, you're, you're getting after it. It makes me feel a little bit bad about what I'm doing. Geez, you're just crushing it. But, <laughs> uh, but tell us, tell us your story, man. Where, where did all this start, man? Where, because you, you haven't always been this, but where have you all, where do you start and tell us your story? Sure. I mean, started where so many others did. I mean, I was born into a lower, lower middle-class family. Dad was an alcoholic. Mom had to raise me by herself. It was a huge struggle for her. I didn't grow up like a lot of kids where when I wanted something, I just asked for it. I, I didn't understand how that worked until I was much older. So when I was young, my mom, who you know barely kept a roof over her head, she always taught me to dream big. And that started with you know being a young kid, I, I loved BMX. You remember the movie Rad? Did you ever yeah, watch yeah. that? That movie was everything. So that movie changed everything. And I would literally draw pictures of the things that I wanted because I didn't have things. So I would draw them and I would visualize and make them real. And all those things happened from BMX to skateboards to snowboards to the half pipe in the backyard. They all started on paper and they became real. And fast forward a little bit to, you know, 16 when I was a big boy, I got a job and hated it. Absolutely hated it. It was treated poorly and I ended up quitting came home thought mom was gonna be mad and I said mom I want to start a clothing line in the basement to basically fund my snowboarding excursions because I was on my way to being a pro snowboarder that's what I wanted at that point at 16 yeah. so this clothing line was called fat clothing company I started it in mom's basement and a year after when I was 17 I had been traveling with my clothing and selling it to places all across the eastern seaboard and I ended up like meeting a bunch of shop owners who had what I envisioned back then as being the perfect life you know they always say like surround yourself with people living the life you want well that's what I was doing these guys were semi-pro snowboarders or ex-pro snowboarders they had these skate and snowboard shops and to me that was what I wanted so again 
started drawing, drew yeah. out the ideas of the first shop, Fat Man Board Shops. And all that stood in my way of having that shop was $70,000. So as a kid, I really didn't know how to raise 70000 So I did it the way most people would. I went out and asked everybody I knew. Can I borrow 70 grand? Can you give me 70 grand? Can I, can you provide collateral for 70 grand? And it was no, no, absolutely not. Then all of a sudden almost gave up, but my mom watched this whole thing happen and she'd never chased her dreams. She didn't want me to lose mine. So she said, listen, we've got this bank. They're willing to give you the SBA loan, but you need collateral. They're not willing to take your 86 like car. They're not willing to take your baseball card collection and they don't want that old dirt bike in the garage. So in the divorce, I had the house and the house has 70,000 in, in value. So what if I put the house up for collateral? Mm -hmm. Now, I don't suggest any parent do this. Yeah. It, looking back, it was a really stupid thing a mom to do, but she did. She put her house, the only thing she had in the world, up for collateral so her punk 17-year-old kid could chase his dream. At yeah. that point, 17, actually it was 18 when it opened, November of 94, Fat Man Board Shops became real became real for a seven or an 18 year old who now had the weight of mom's house on his shoulder. So I had to become an entrepreneur very quick and grow up. So fast forward past that. So, you know, it would seem great. You know, that's all happened. Mom bailed me out and put her house on the line so I could chase my dream. But all the way up to the early 2000s, I was literally living that dream. I had my shops. I, was, I went on to be a professional snowboarder, and that was a childhood dream come yeah. true. I traveled the world, seeing some of the most beautiful places, snowboarding with some of the top athletes back then, and just loving it. And I had my shop back home kind of helping fund this whole thing. Until the early 2000s, when the dot-com crash happened, I'd never even known the word recession. Like, what does that yeah. mean? What is it? Well, when that hit, I had four locations open for my shops. I was highly leveraged. And all of a sudden, found myself in a position where, wow, the shops aren't doing enough to cover the bill. So I had to figure out, how am I going to pay myself? So yeah. I had to go get a job. And I was either going to deliver pizzas at night. But that was a real idea. Like, really, that crossed my mind. I'll just do this temporarily just to get through. But I ended up landing in the financial world as a financial advisor. And I thought, yeah, this is going to be a temporary thing because I really don't want to do this. Yeah. You know, but I watched that movie, Wall Street, the original Michael Douglas Wall Street movie. And that one kind of got me super interested in being the stockbroker, the advisor. Huh. And in doing that, I, I actually fell in love with being an advisor and I rose to the top. I got all my certifications got all my licenses and I became a top performing advisor. And, and I bailed my shops out during that time. I started putting people in place in the shops to do what I used to do. So, you know, kind of learning lessons, didn't know I was doing it at the time, but I was working on the business, not yeah. in the business anymore. Yeah. Critical way of thinking, totally different mindset in doing that. And then in, uh, you know, by 2008, I was crushing it. I was like the top three advisor in the firm that I was at. Uh, I'd flipped a couple houses because, you know, everybody watches a flip show and learns that you can flip a house in 23 minutes. And that's what I did. Yeah. By 2008, I had gotten knee deep into a plaza development, a strip mall development, because I, my store's lease was coming due and there was an old paint shop. I'm like, well, I'll move into that paint shop and have my tenants pay the rent. It was a great idea. Mm -hmm. Borrowed money from the wrong group of private investors. I call them knuckles now for obvious reasons and got uh, slapped in the face when the great recession hit. Yeah. It literally hit me like a Mack truck. It brought me to my knees and I was literally got to one payment away from being completely bankrupt. I was going to lose it all. Retail stores were plummeting. 
financial advisory, clearly like not a good time to be an advisor. I was freaking out. You think I don't sleep now, man, back then I was getting up at three or four watching the pre-markets, trying to figure out what to do, getting yelled at all day long, you know, for things that are out of my control. It was an awful draining period of time. And I'll never forget the one night I came home and my girlfriend, Larissa, who had just moved into my house, you know, up to this point, she knew me as this pro snowboarder. He's got these retail shops, you know, in all the magazines. Yeah. She didn't know me as the financial advisor going bankrupt, right? That's not what she knew. And I looked her in the eye that night and I said, sweetie, I need your help. I need your help paying the mortgage. I need your help paying the utilities. And my friend's got to rent that bedroom and my other friend's going to rent that bedroom upstairs. And I can't make it. I can't do it alone. I had a 50-50 shot of her leaving and walking out that door, but she didn't. I thought, I think wow. she kind of liked me. I mean, she's my wife now. and we That's have, what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Same girl. Yeah. She's my wife now and we have an eight week old at home, but um, that's kind of where it all began. I was brought to my knees, but I kind of made it through that time. 2009 to 14, I'll pick up the steam here. All I did during that period is reflect on 2008 and I did what Warren Buffett said. I started buying low. And I bought apartment buildings, pennies on the dollar from nine to 14. And I thought I was doing it all right. Read a couple books, watched a couple self-help videos. And here I was, 2014, I had 36 units. Me and Larissa had bought our dream house. I mean, it was a stretch, but we did it. And I thought everything was good. And then the bank hit me with a left hook, man. Just like Mike Tyson says, you got to plan until you get hit in the face. Yeah. Well, I got hit in the face. The bank said, I brought them a new deal and they said no. And I said, okay, what's going on? You don't fit in the debt to income ratio, like a little square box, if you will. And I said, okay, well, I've always paid on time. Yeah, but you don't fit anymore, like blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, all right, well, 37th unit doesn't happen. They then froze my lines of credit and they called two of my mortgages. For any of you that think you're in a nice, easy place, just understand that you are not in control of your money and you are not in control of the things that the bank controls because that mortgage, those lines of credit, as much as I needed them and that's how I operated, I wasn't in control of them. Because I didn't fit the bank's little square box, that's what happened. What I didn't know is the bank was actually being bought out by a bigger uh, bank, so they were thinning out their their business. Yeah, I didn't know that until much, much later. Um, But anyway, so I had to sell all 36 units. I had to sell that dream house that me and Larissa had had on our vision board for so long. And now all of a sudden here I was. So you see the cycle, right? 2000, early 2000s, you know, didn't almost lose it all then, but had to get a job. Made it back in 2008, crushing it. Got brought to my knees, almost went bankrupt. 2014 again, thought it was right there. Now I'm back down to nothing, living paycheck to paycheck. And you know, it's like at that point in time, when that happens, you have this self-reflection period where you think you're a failure. You start blaming everybody else, everything else. You blame the economy. You blame your old business partners. You blame everybody and you take no blame for yourself. I don't know if any of your listeners have ever been there, but that's where I was. And it required me to really focus. And how that happened is not by anything else. I got a postcard in the mail and it said, come to this three-day training. We'll teach you how to flip houses. And I, I didn't want to learn how to flip houses, but I, have, I was so down on my luck that I had nothing to lose. And by going, they give away a free iPod shuffle. So I went for that iPod shuffle and I met two people at that three day. I met Mike and I met Greg. And these were like, Mike was a TV show star and Greg was the bank. He was the guy that lent all the money. And I heard them talk and all of a sudden, like, because I was an advisor, I started hearing them talk about money 
what they do, their mindset on money, how they were raising money, the things they were doing with money. And I'm like, wait, 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 whoa. I'm a high level advisor. And what these guys are doing is the complete opposite hmm. of every single thing I'd ever been taught to do as an advisor. So I started then diving in. I started questioning every single thing I'd been taught about money. And that's, that's in 14, right? This is when this happened. So from 14 to today, all I have done is gone on a journey to learn and mimic what the wealthy do with money. Why is it the wealthy, the uber wealthy, the billionaires, the multimillionaires, why is it that they do the complete opposite of the things that we're taught to do? And why is it that they seem to always be in full control in every situation, up market, down market, sideways market, they know where they're at and how to control their money. When we, we just, we're always in the tailwinds, right? We're always following the leader. If the market goes down, we go down because that's just, that's the only thing we know how to do. If the markets go up, we're going up. We are not in control of our money. And that is how I've got where I'm at today is there's a lot more to that, but literally making my life mission about learning the secrets of the wealthy and not just learning it, figuring it out and then bringing it to the average person telling them how to change the dynamic of their, their lives, their money, and their future by changing just one thing. That's all it requires. Wow. Sorry, it's a long, it's a wow, long journey, but I gave it all to you, man. You wanted the snowboarding piece. I so wanted I gave it, it to all, you. man. That's, that's so cool. Um, yeah, so I, I, I grew up, I mean, there's a ton in there, but a side note, I grew up snowboarding too. I, I don't do as much as I used to. I need to, need to do more of it. But yeah, I grew up with the, uh, Back in the days of J.P. Walker and oh uh, my gosh, app dude, those are my days. Yeah, that's when I was in it. Yes, dude. absolutely. He was the king back then of rails. He was like, oh, he was like my hero. Him and Jeremy Jones, which I guess oh. is still riding, still he is. I don't know it. how that's possible. But uh, man, we could go on and on about snowboarding right now, which we probably oh shouldn't God. do. But Bozong and the whole Salt Lake City clan, dude, that was the era of Salt Lake City right there. Yeah. The rail garden, which I've been to, that was, you know, we rode the bird for Powell. We went over yeah. to the canyons for the park. No, I, we shouldn't go down that trail because yeah. that'll be the whole podcast. I have to ask though, because I probably, I've probably seen you in a, in a video. Like, are you probably. in any, any productions, any of the video, yeah. any of the snowboard videos? Which one? I was in a ton. I used to, I used to roll with the grenade crew. So Maddie and Danny Cass. Yep. So any of the grenade films, you would have probably saw bits and pieces of me in there because I traveled yep. a lot with them. Uh, you would have saw me in, uh, oh gosh, what else? Eastern Edge Magazine. I was in that all the time because I was an East, yeah. East Coast kid. Yep. Um, what are the other films? There were so many of them. Uh, Here and There was a big film that I was in. Do It Right was another big one I was in. Um, yeah, there was a bunch. And That's then lots so cool. of magazine footage. That's so cool. Well, I'm going to go back through my stuff and see if I can see if uh, <laughs> busting a, a sweet move. Uh Cool. Well, you say, anyway, that's a whole nother thing, but let's jump it back into this story a little bit. Um, this is super fascinating to me. Uh, everybody, cause all the people, you know, every, everybody that's successful. They talk about, you know, you're going to have to learn how to overcome failures and setbacks and you're going to have to, there's just going to come with the territory. So a couple of questions, how, I mean, how do you put that back together after you you have a, a situation like that, especially the third one? Like, how do you even bother going after it again and trying to build things back up? Like, how do you power through those moments? It's a really good question. And, you know, the first one's the hardest one because you've never experienced it, right? So when you fail the first time, you really feel like your world's going to end. 
you know, and that was the early 2000s, even though I didn't fail, that was a failure to me having to go back to the one thing I said I was never going to do and get a job that yeah. to me was failing and, and my businesses were not doing well, but I wasn't at the point that I was in 08. So that one was probably the hardest one, but it, it landed me in the financial world. The, the last place in the world I thought it'd be except for yeah. Wall Street movie. Uh, the 2008 one was, was a hard one. So in 2008, when I was losing it all, I had at that point in time, I had gotten to a point in my life where I realized like if I lose it all, it's going to suck, but I can get it all back. And that was the, me the mental attitude I had. Now, after that came the most reflective time, that period of time when I told you I was loathing and like blaming everybody else. When I was in that, I started coming to the conclusion by reading a lot of books, no podcast back then, but I read a lot of books and those books taught me all about failure being the best learning lessons. And I literally went back to every time I failed and all the things and the reasons like, why did I fail there? Why did this strip mall like put me in this position? What were the key indicators that led me to that? And I started saying, you know what? That was the best learning lesson I could have ever had. So then when I 14 hit, although it was super bad, it was more terrible because I, I wasn't just me affected. It was my, my fiance at that time. Mm -hmm. That was the hardest part there. But all of these times when I've failed, I've always like started concluding that a failure is nothing more than a learning lesson. Now that's easy to say. You put yourself back in that situation, you're failing, and it doesn't feel like a learning lesson. It feels like the world's crashing down around you. And you have to understand that like the reason it feels that way is because you're letting it feel that way. You're taking all the negative energy and that's the only thing you're focused on is what's happening, why it's failing. Like, and you self-loathe on that. And because of that, that becomes your world. And you become a very miserable, depressed person. If you just took that and you kind of pulled yourself back out of it and you looked at yourself from above and you said, you know what, I need to learn from this and I need to rise above this, then that would be it. But you know, most people when they're in that moment, right now is a great time to look at it. This is COVID. There's a lot of yeah. failures going on. And yeah. a lot of people I know are having really hard times and they're miserable. And I keep trying to bring them out of that being like, this is probably the best thing that could happen for you because you hated what you were doing before. This is your chance to start creating a new blank canvas and rewrite your life. But people don't, it, it never happens until after. So the biggest thing I say with failure is you're not, when you're failing, you're not going to think it's the greatest thing. You're not be like, oh yes, I'm failing. I'm going to learn. No, the learning comes after you failed. It's how you handle it after. Can you rebound? So you asked about all those times I'm failing. During the failure point, I would be lying to you if I said I didn't like, completely hate everything. Yeah. You know, I did, you know, but I found the certain things in my life that were the staples. Snowboarding was always a staple. Surfing was a big staple for me. Skateboarding, even today, big, big on skating bowls. Like when I'm down, I go skate. Yeah. Those little things, that one little thing brings you out, even if it's for 15 minutes. Okay. If that's all it takes to bring you out of that moment, just focus only on that and then try to build upon that one positive in your life. Because sometimes that's all we have. Is that one thing? Sometimes, like everything else, is bad, but you got you always got one, and find yeah. it and focus on it. And there's and read, read books about people. You will find that every person that is successful has failed. Read Walt Disney's book. You want to talk about someone that failed and failed and failed and failed and failed? That man kept failing, but he never lost sight of his dream. Was it miserable when he was failing? Absolutely. Watch the movie. Watch. Read the book. It wasn't a pretty time for him, but he never lost focus on what he was and what he wanted to be. Do you think that, do you think that it's possible to, to just 
to just nail it, right? To just to do such a good job at everything that you got going on that you you avoid failure. Like, is that I've even never, possible? I've never seen it. So if if that's you and and that's somebody watching this, you think you're just never going to fail because you've had good luck. Okay. Well, yeah. Right. If you do manage to make it all the way through and you got this success ten years down the line, you've never failed once. Please write a book. Yeah. Nobody seriously. will believe the book, but yeah, nope. write it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, I've I've only been in this for 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 a few years, and I've not I've not failed um, or had those situations like you've had yet. Right. I'm, I'm now. And I hope you don't have. I'm mentally preparing for them, but you know, I've had my, I've had my issues and I've had, you know, I lost money on my first rental property, totally made some stupid mistakes, just got in too big of a hurry and, and didn't, uh, didn't do what I, what I knew then and and know now even better than what I should have done. So there's, there's always going to be that. And I don't know, it's just like, you're, you're not going to stick every snowboarding trick, right? You, you're just not. And if you are, you're not pushing your ability or, or you're, you're not trying to reach your, what you're capable of, right? I mean, if, you, if there's no failure, you're not pushing any of your own limits, I think. And, and uh, so that's, that's great. You're right. And, and, you know, because you just pulled that out because you're a snowboarder too, do you mind if I tell a story about snowboarding that's very relevant to my success in business? Yes. So when I was a pro snowboarder, you know, a lot of times people ask me, oh, what was it like being a pro snowboarder? Like, was it scary? Did you, were you fear, you know, did you have a lot of fear? Because everybody associates fear and business and everything else. And of course, my answer is always every, every day. And I always talk about this one event that I was riding in in New Hampshire. It was a big nationals contest. And I remember I always was the rider that got there early and rode the lift up to go check the, the course out. Well, this morning was a foggy morning and I'm going up the lift and drinking my coffee. And I remember just sitting there and you're trying to get in the groove, right? Trying to get your mindset right. Yep. And I'm going up and I come over the knoll, kind of where the fog lifted. And I look down and right over there to my left was the jump. And it wasn't a normal jump. It was a monster. I mean, I looked at this thing. I'm like, that can't be the course. But I knew it was the course because like there was guys working on it. The photographers were setting up. I'm like, yeah. oh God, no, please no. Yeah. So at that moment, and this, this can be a parallel to life too. At that moment, I was engulfed in fear. Like the whole rest of the lift ride, I wasn't focused. I wasn't like mentally preparing. I was mentally like fear. Fear is all I thought of. And I get to the top and in, in snowboarding contests, how it works is all the athletes are at the top of the hill or top of the course and we're all walking around. We got our headphones on. Back then it was a big headphone time with skull candy and we're yeah. walking around heads down. Hey man, what's up? You know, it was kind of like this. Every single one of us are thinking the exact same thing, but nobody's talking about the problem. We're all thinking the same thing. We all know there's a problem like that. Who's going to hit that thing the first time is the problem. And we're all mm -hmm. thinking that. And then all of a sudden, all snowboarders, we ha always played this game, Rochambeau. Who was going to be the guinea pig? So, mm -hmm. you know, the athletes would get together and we'd play the game. And sometimes it took longer if there was a lot, but I always seemed to lose. Yeah. This contest... <laughs> I lost or they kind of just elected me because like it was just a bunch of my bros and they're like, you yeah. hit it first. And, and me being the big guy, I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah. 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 No. So I roll up to the starting line and at this point you're staring down at this jump. You haven't hit it yet. You know, for a fact, you're, you're intently looking at it. You know, for a fact, if I go too fast and I overshoot this, I'm going to land from like 40 feet up flat. Yeah. That could blow my knees out. That could, that could paralyze me. That could break, you know, you think all those things. But if I yeah. don't go fast enough, 
Like if I do too many speed checks and I don't go fast enough, that lips 15, 20 feet off the deck. Plus it's, it's, you know, the step up. So yep. then I'm going to just cream down on the, on the knuckle and I'm going to bounce. And you know, you're going to blow yep. your knees out and you're going through all this stuff in your head and you're just, your, your fear just keeps building and building in you. Then all of a sudden the starter comes over. He's like, all right, Chris, you hear him on the mic first, you know, Hey, we're going to send the starter down. You know, you hear the mic and all right, good, we're good. At that point, you know, it's go time. So you have two choices, right? Back off and say, no, you know, Jim, you got to yeah. do this. man. I can't. Or you man up and you start. And then all of a sudden he says, okay, Chris, whenever you're ready, or it was all, I can't remember. I had a nickname, you know, I went by like the stallion and I had all sorts of names, yeah. but all yeah. right, go. And you sit there and you look at it, you take a big breath, you let it out and you just leap. And at that moment, there's a moment of silence. Speed builds up and then now you're in the air. At this point, fear is completely gone. Because now at this point, instinct kicks in and all the times you've practiced, all the times you've hit this jump, that just kicks in and it just takes over. And then you ride away, you landed your trick. Now at that point in time, Fear isn't even existent. Mm-hmm. At that point, an overwhelming sense of, I don't even know what it is, but I want it every day. That feeling comes through you and all you can all you can think about is get me to the top again. I've got more tricks to learn. I got, oh my God, that was amazing. You're so excited. You're smiling ear to ear and all of a sudden, and I, right now, you guys can't see this, but right now I am like filled with energy. Just thinking about that moment. What I just described to you might be snowboarding, but that's business too. You will always have that feeling in business when you leap. But if you fail to leap because you're too, you think you got to have all the pieces figured out or you think, oh my God, I I don't want to fail or, oh my God, if this happens and then you fail to leap, you'll never feel what I just felt and what I always felt with snowboarding. I get that same feeling with business. You can't ever get anywhere in life until you leap. And until you leap, you're never going to achieve your dreams and goals or live. I like to call everything my perfect day. I want to live my perfect day every day. And until you know what your perfect day is, you can't live it. So that's where it starts. That's awesome, man. That's a, that's a great story. Gave me goosebumps, man. I, I know all about that. My God, feeling. dude. When I, when I said I landed and like that feeling, it just came over me again. It always does. I don't say that, tell that story often. Definitely never on podcast because it takes yeah. too, too long, but yeah. folks you guys if you don't have never felt that before well you're not doing something right yeah well i mean the the analogy right there's no that feeling doesn't happen on the easy way down right the 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 beginner trail there you're not gonna if you're if your level is advanced more advanced than that right you're 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 gonna hit a point where okay this is i'm not feeling that anymore and there and that's when you know you're not pushing your limits and you're not stretching you're not working towards what you're capable of doing. And I think that's, that's important. That's a great lesson there. Um, and I meet people every day that I talk to, cause I talk to hundreds of people. I don't know about hundreds a month, but seems like it. And I constantly can't tell you how many times I speak to somebody and ask them about their dreams and their goals. And it's always to quit their job and do what they're, they're chasing, quit their job and follow their dream. But so many of them can't quit their job because they can't get out of their comfort zone. That comfort zone is is you're there because of fear. Fear isn't even real unless it's a grizzly bear. When you're when you're chased by a grizzly bear, you'll know that that fear is real. Because yeah. if you you don't run fast enough or downhill, you're you're dead. But fear sitting at, in, on top of that mountain, 
you know, looking down, fear of wondering what it's going to be like to quit your job and figure things out. That fear is not real. It's all self-manipulated. And it's just you making excuses for doing what you want in life. And those excuses come right back to everything that I teach about money today. Because the excuses you make about money and this and that and the other thing are all because of what you've been taught about money. You've been taught to fear money, which is why you've been taught to give up control of it because your fear of money and non-understanding of money relates to you and, and everything they've taught you giving up control of your most valuable dollars. So that is the number one thing I tell people. The money problem is the problem of controlling your own money. You are not in control and you never have been until you learn how to change one thing, which puts you back in control. So let's, let's talk about that. Um, so tell us more about your 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 message and what you're you're letting people know and and that control explain to us a few more because obviously that's those failures um that's what you learned is you know you as many things as you could control the one thing you couldn't control in 2014 was that bank being bought out by another bank without that happening there was to, you were totally fine that bank probably would have been totally fine with your loans they may not have given you that next loan maybe they would have i don't know but you were not in control of that. And, and I, that's, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody talk about this the way you're, you're, you're teeing this up for us. So talk to us about the control of money. And if you can share, share with us some insight to that one thing that, that, sure. that we need to learn. Oh, I will. Well, everything I'm going to talk about comes from self, like my story. Everything I've learned about money comes from me learning it because I've either failed at it or I've had an awakening moment where I've met somebody that talk to it. So how this whole thing comes to be about controlling your money, I'll tell you how it comes. Because a lot of people, when you hear me tell this and tell you what that one thing is, you're all going to, you're going to say, that sounds too good to be true. It can't be that simple. It is. And you know how I figured it out? I figured it out by hanging out with multimillionaires, spending a lot of money, maxing credit cards out to be in masterminds, be around the most successful people in the spaces that were living the perfect life. The perfect life to me is my perfect day. They were living that. And those are the only people I focused on. All the people that I had back home, like here in Buffalo, that were negative, I had to slowly eliminate them. Some of them were my family members. One was my best friend. That's not easy. But I realized that like the way I felt when I was around these people over here, not because they had money, no, but because they were alive, because they had followed their dreams and they'd figured things out. And the way I felt over here were two totally different things. And I didn't want anything to do with the way I felt when I was around negative people telling me I can't do something, or, you know, and the people that I was around the, the multimillionaires. But here's, here's where it became pivotal. And I have these awakening moments. Just last week, I had somebody on my podcast and I had another one. When you start getting around multimillionaires and you ask the key questions of what are you doing with money? Where do you put money first? And you start asking them that. What you will find is you will find a very regimented pattern of the same answer. It's not always called the same thing, but it's always the same thing of what they're doing with money. And it is the complete opposite of everything I've ever been taught about money in my past. So I'll get to what that thing is that these wealthy people do. But in the beginning, 2014, when I had that awakening with Mike at, in Salt Lake City at the Cheesecake Factory down at the, uh, what is the mall called down there? You know which one. Having lunch with him. He's, yeah, telling yeah, yeah. Me, he's telling me all about this is what I'm doing. with, And this is right when they built it with the water, like, like cricks you're through the, it and all the, that. That's the Gateway Mall, right? The Gateway yeah. Mall, yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I had to because you're Salt Lake. No, and you're uh, that's where this all began. And he starts telling me about this thing where he's putting money, how he's lending money to me on my real estate deals. And I remember hearing him say all this and I'm like, Mike, there's no way, man. 
it doesn't work that way. I'm an advisor. There's no way. And he says, look, Tris, I'm not trying to say that I'm smarter than you, but I, all I can tell you is I've been doing this. This is how I was taught to do it. And it works exactly the way I did it. So that was that point when I began that journey. And I keep and more and more people I talk to, they keep saying, and, I'm, and I have one of these moments, I'm like, you too, that's it. But let me take you back. Let me tell you what you've been taught about money and where the problem is, okay? Because you can't understand the solution until you understand that there's a problem. So where does the problem start? Where do you put your money? Every one of you, think about where you put your money. What do you do when you get a paycheck? Don't you go to deposit into the bank? You do. You go and put your money in the bank account, your savings goes into savings, and then some of you put money in retirement plans, 401ks, 403bs, 457s. But what you actually are not really realizing is what you're doing is giving up control of your money on every one of those. Now, you don't quite understand that yet, but think about it. Your dollars that you have today, your dollar bills, and let's just, I don't know if this is video, but I'm holding this thing that looks like a dollar bill. Yeah. Your money is the most valuable today. It will never be worth more than it is today because of inflation. And they just printed $3 trillion for yeah. COVID. So folks, your dollars just became worth a hell of a lot less mm -hmm. than they were worth yesterday. Inflation is nothing more than the hidden tax. And a lot of people think inflation means that milk costs more or you know the, the daily things we buy cost more. That isn't what it is. Inflation means it just takes more of your dollars to buy those goods and services. The goods and services didn't go up in value. You just need more dollars to buy it mm -hmm. because that $3 trillion pulls its value directly from your money today. So your money instantly lost money. And you know, dollars, now our currency is not backed by gold because the leprechauns found a way to build the rainbow straight over to Fort Knox and they stole all the damn gold. So if you're putting money in a bank and you're in control of your money, then explain to me why you can't just go to a bank and then ask the teller if you got, let's just say you got 50 grand at the bank, ask the teller to give you all 50 grand of your money right there. They won't no. give it to you. No. You can't. They need a couple days to do it or you got to call ahead. If, you're, if that's your money, then why can't you just have your money? So that's a very minor situation. But let's also think about what they're doing. You just gave them your money to hold for you. You gave up control and entrusted that control with the bank. What does the bank do with your money? The bank takes your deposit, pays you next to nothing, and loans that money out immediately. You'll never see that dollar that you just gave them. Even if you wrote your name on it, you'll never see that dollar back. It doesn't go in a little box with your name on it. Sorry, mm -hmm. that's the truth. It gets lent out. And how much money does the bank make on your dollars just for doing nothing more than moving your money? The one thing you've never been taught to do, the bank just moves your money. You make a deposit, they loan it out. The loan gets paid off, they loan it out again. They just move it. Well, let me tell you how much, 400 to 1300% more than you make. And, and I get people, I love haters because haters come out of the woodwork when I tell them this on Facebook lives. They say, no, that's not true. Oh no, go to bauerfinancial.com, look up any bank for any time frame, and see how much money banks make. You'll see 400 to 1300%. Secondarily, what do you do? You deposit money in a bank, you got your savings account, which is your emergency fund. And then what are we taught to do? When we want something, what do we go? We go borrow, right? We borrow from that same bank. We want a car, we take a car loan. We want something else, we get a credit card. We want something else, we get a line of credit. All those things, the credit card can be shut off at any time. Your line of credit, you heard my story. And in 2008, if you didn't learn that lines of credit can be shut off, minimized, cut in half, it's going to happen again, yeah. folks. Yeah. Your line of credit isn't in your control. It's the bank's control. Your credit card isn't in your control. It's in the bank's control. And the whole thing the bank's doing is they're just giving you your money back and everybody else's money and charging you absorbent in interest rates. How much? What's your credit card costing you every month? Do you even look? 
or are you scared to look? Most people are blind to the truth. Yeah. Let's call it 20%. So what if all we did is we took our money from our savings account, okay, that's sitting there for that emergency. Well, folks, if you've got credit card debt, guess what? That's the emergency. Take the money from your savings, pay your credit card off. But then don't stop there. That's where everybody stops and that's the problem. Go one step further and then whatever payment you are giving to that credit card company, let's say it's $200 a month to Visa at 20% interest. If you took that $200 and you paid that $200 back to your savings account and you just kept putting it in there, and this isn't what I'm suggesting, but if you just did that, do you realize you just made a 20% return on your money? Seriously, like think about that. Are you making 20% in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs? Are you making 20% in anything you're doing? No, no but you're giving 20% away every single month without even thinking about it because you've been taught to do that. Yeah. One level deeper. So let, we're going to come back to that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm on a roll. No, so just, this is like, awesome. Stay with this, me. This is, all, this Four, is gold, man. 401ks are even the bigger one. Think about what you're doing. You get a job your whole life, your parents, your grandparents said, oh, when you get a job, put money into a retirement plan because statistically the social security says that five out of only one out of 100 people, only five are going to be financially secure. So Chris, put money in a 401k so that someday you can retire and sail off into the sunset and that thing called retirement. How's that working out for America? Not so well, because what we're doing essentially is we are being taught to give up more control of our money per paycheck, without us even getting the paycheck, they've made it so easy that they'll just sweep it right from our paycheck before taxes are taken out and put it into this 401k. And then give you a basket of mutual funds that they pick, not you, who's in control, they are. You then invest in these mutual funds and hopefully they grow or don't over the course of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That whole thing also, what you did is you've been you know, coerced into doing this because of one of two things. Number one, you want the tax deduction. Well, three things. You want the tax deduction. Okay, number two, it's easy, and that's why most people do it. Number three, because you want some fictitious day to happen into the future, right? Th that you want money for the future and you can't mm -hmm. save yourself. You just paid tax on the you, you just paid tax on the harvest. But we're always taught pay tax on the seed, not the harvest. You did the opposite. But let's think about what you just did. You just gave up control of your money. You can't even take that money back until five, 10, 15 years in the future when you're 59 and a half. And if you do take it out, there's a penalty, isn't there? If you take it as a loan, there's interest. Okay, sure, you get yeah. the interest. But if you don't pay the loan back, they hit you with 10% IRS penalties pre-59. And you're paying tax on all of it. So how are you in control? You're not. The government made the rules. The financial institutions charge the fees. They're in control of your money. But let's think about that. You literally do things with your money that you would never, ever do with things that money buys. Would you ever go to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread? Come home, put that loaf of bread in your freezer and close the freezer door, but then wait five, 10 or 15 years, then come back, open the freezer, take that freezer burned loaf of bread out and say, mmm, <laughs> can't wait to eat that. Heck yes. no, you wouldn't eat that. Would you ever buy a car, wait five, 10 or 15 years to drive the car? Nope. Would you ever buy your dream house, your primary residence and wait five, 10 or 15 years to move in? No. And if you did, yeah. your, your wife or your husband would divorce your ass. We yeah. do things with money we just would never do with things that money buys. Why? Because you've been taught to do this. Yeah. And that's all you've been taught to do. So what is the solution now? Well, it's not to go out and revolt and then stop putting money into 401ks. If they're giving you a match, put in up to the match. If it's 3%, put in 3%. But why 15? Oh, well, I, I got to catch up. Catch up on what? Mm. Catch up on something that's not going to happen. 
or it, I could just keep going with that, but like that's yeah, what yeah. we're taught to do with money. That's not what the wealthy do with money. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they don't use retirement plans. They use them very differently. They use self-directed IRAs more than just about anything because they can yeah. control where their money goes, what they do and how they do it. And they can control their outcome. You don't control the outcome in the stock market. Matter of fact, if any of your listeners, this is COVID right now. Okay. We just saw in March, the market crash. And then we've yeah. seen the market come back up for no real reason. The economy is going down. People are yeah. still losing jobs. Companies are going bankrupt left and right. COVID is still, the cases are still going up. More yeah. businesses are closing, but yet the stock market's rallying Doesn't and everybody just sense. thinks, woohoo, it's money time. Yay. We're in the yeah. money. No mm -hmm. folks, here's what you should be thinking. That's what's coming. <laughs> it's an election year, folks. This is the biggest ma magic trick you've ever seen in your life. So all this stuff being said, now I've got your attention. Now, what is the solution? Okay, so this is the part where you're going to call me crazy. The solution is you change one thing. And that one thing you change is where your money goes first. It's all you change, where the money goes first. So where do the wealthy people put their money? Where do people like Walt Disney, Ray Kroc, uh, Rockefellers, Rothschilds, J.C. Penney, Sears, I could keep going on, the, the yeah. founder of Pampered Chef, Biden, yeah. McCain, where do they put their money? Well, let me tell you where they put their money. And you don't believe me? Research it. Mutually owned insurance companies. That's right. Not banks. Mm. Mutually owned insurance companies. Why? Why would they use an insurance company over a bank? Well, do you know what fractional reserve banking is? Do you think that's safe? Do you believe in the FDIC? Well, they don't. They know that that's all just a big farce and a big lie. So they want security. Insurance companies are in the business of guarantees. They guarantee people things. So what does an insurance company guarantee you when you know how to put money into the insurance company's general account? 4%. That's how much money the people get. That's how much money the wealthy people are earning on their money, a guaranteed 4%. Are you getting that on your money? But that's not who cares about 4%? Nobody gets excited about that. So why would you put money into these mutually owned insurance companies? Or actually, let's talk about how. Well, have you ever heard of whole life insurance? You have. It's life mm -hmm. insurance, right? Dave Ramsey says it's the worst place you can put money. And I agree with Dave Ramsey. It's the worst investment you can ever use if you use regular whole life. We use specially designed and specially engineered whole life policies that mimic banking. They're designed for banking. You just don't know how they work. Your advisor doesn't know how it works and your insurance agent doesn't know how it works. And if they say they do, have them run an example and I bet you any money they don't. You see, if you knew how it works, what it would allow you to do, and let me just explain this in the simplest way. You take your money, you change one thing and you put your money in this mutually owned insurance company. The insurance company agrees to pay you a guaranteed 4% plus a dividend every year because you're, it's a mutual company. So they're going to give you the return of surplus and in, in profits in dividends every year. Mm -hmm. So you got your money there. But now what fun would it be if you just park your money and you leave it? Banks don't just park money and leave it. They take your money and they move it. So we have to move our money. So you put your money in this mutual owned insurance company through this specially designed and engineered whole life, but then you immediately take that money back out. Now, in the first couple of years in transparency, it wouldn't be 100% of what you've deposited. But you've never just gone to the bank, put 100% in your savings and gone back and taken it all out for no yeah. apparent reason. So this is the same. But then you take that money out. Now, let's go back to the things that are your problems in your life. Credit card debt, any debt, your car payment, your car loans. Those are the things we want to get rid of. So I show people how to build wealth through their own debts and expenses hmm. by changing this. I put my money over here. I take my money from that mutually owned, specially designed whole life. 
and I then pay off Visa or pay down Visa, one or the other. Then once I pay down or pay off Visa, I take whatever Visa was getting, whatever money I was paying Visa, and I take that exact payment and I pay it back to myself, my bank, which is my specially designed whole life. Then what do I do? I immediately then take more money out. I take it as a loan and I pay off another credit card or my car loan. Okay, and I keep this cycle going. But every time I pay something off, I take what I was giving somebody else and I put it back over here. I'm building wealth by just taking back the money I'm giving away to everybody else. That's the secret. You want to build wealth? Find a way to take back the money that you're giving away. Because my guess is you're giving away 90% or 90 cents of every single dollar you make. Do the math. Look at your paycheck. And then on the other column, write down where all your money goes and tell me who's getting 90% of your money. Is it you or is it everybody else? It's everybody else. You want to build wealth? Start taking back the money that you're giving away to everybody else. Wealthy people don't believe in bad debt. Their debts are good debt, which means their debts pay them. I'm not saying all debts are bad. Have your debts pay you. Here's the second thing I didn't tell you about. You know how when we deposit that money over there and we're getting that 4% plus dividend? Do you realize when I take that money back out, I'm not even taking my own money. What I'm doing is I'm taking a loan from the insurance company's general account. And the loan they're giving me is less than what they're paying me. So I'm, I've got an arbitrage there. So they give me a loan of the money up to the amount I have on deposit. That loan they give me is nothing more than leveraging my death benefit. Because someday when I graduate, nice way of saying when I die, mm -hmm. the insurance company has promised with a contract that they're going to pay somebody a death benefit. So the insurance company then also says, well, while I'm living, if I want to take my money, the insurance company will make loans to me and they'll just reduce my death benefit. So that loan that I took technically doesn't even need to be paid back because the insurance company says someday when you graduate, we're just going to true up that death benefit and just take off your death benefit, the amount that you, you use while you're living. Yeah. The key thing I haven't got to is the most important thing that the wealthy understand. They understand something Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world, uninterrupted compound interest. Now, you know what compound interest is, but you probably don't understand uninterrupted compound interest. That means there's no taxes affecting it. There's no fees hitting it every single year. And when you take the money out, you don't impact the compounding effect. So remember I said the banks move money? Banks yeah. understand that if they're moving money, they're getting paid on that money all the time. Either you're paying them an interest rate or they know how to earn interest on that money even when that money's in motion. Yeah. Now, I just told you how to. All the money you put into these mutually owned insurance companies, every single penny in that account will perpetually, to the day you graduate, earn uninterrupted compound interest, even if you took all of it out over and over and over again, because you're not taking your money. The insurance company is giving you their money, which means your money sits there and earns. If I could only demonstrate to you in numbers and show you what the impact of uninterrupted compound interest Albert Einstein's eighth wonder of the world, you would look me in the eye and you would say, this looks too good to be true. And I would look you back in the eye and say, you know what? That's exactly what I said at that cheesecake factory in Salt Lake City when I saw this. I said, that looks too good to be true. But it's not. It's being used left and right. The gentleman I was on the phone with on my podcast, Aaron Chapman, very, very wealthy individual. Without me provoking him, we're talking about money. He's talking about money being a river and always flowing and never being in a stagnant pond. And guess what he uses? He's like, yeah, I, I said to him, I said, so what do you do with your money? Where's your money go first? Oh, I put my money in mutually owned or I put my money in whole life policies. I'm like, you don't say. What kind of whole life? 
He's like, ah, the banking kinds, you know, he's, he didn't know what it was. He's yeah, just, yeah. banking kinds. And I just take the money out and I go and buy more real estate and I take the rents from the real estate and I put it back on my policy and I take it out again. And I loan it to guys like you on private loans. And, and I'm like, you don't say, I'm oh like, my gosh. Aaron, I know you didn't research who I am and what I do, but you realize that's what I do for a living. I teach that. He's like, you don't say, you see what I'm saying? Everybody knows about this. Nobody's talking about it. Why don't you know about it? You don't know about it because your advisors can't get paid on it or they have to take a drastic cut in their pay in their, their pay and their compensation model. Because to do what I just explained to you, to deposit money in a whole life, a specially designed one, and to be mm -hmm. able to take that money right back out, you've never seen a whole life that works that way. No. And if I could show you how you can deposit a hundred grand and all of a sudden take out ninety-three thousand immediately in the first thirty days, you'd say that's impossible. It's not. It no. requires the person that builds that plan to give up almost all of their commission. And then all of a sudden you've got one of the most incredible, most impressive banking systems you've ever seen on the face of this earth. And it's been that way for hundreds of years, which is why the Rockefellers used it. It's why the Rothschilds still use it. It's why this has been around for hundreds of years, yet it's remained one of the biggest secrets in the financial world. And I'm trying to change that and trying to bring that awareness to people. Sorry, I went long with that, but no, there's no easy way. And my, was, I'm going to give your whole blowing. audience a book. Okay. This is my book, Mapping Let's Out the it. Millionaire Mystery. It's about that. I'll give every single person this book because you're probably sitting there saying, oh my God, no way. Well, read my book and you'll understand way more than what I can do in the time we had here. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll make sure I've got a link there for them. To go I'll give you the that. link and the book's free. You just pay yeah. the shipping. And if you want the ebook, just, uh, I can give you the link for the ebook and you can send it out to anyone that wants it. Yeah. This is crazy. Cause I, just like me, just like everybody else, we all heard Dave Ramsey say, you know, whole life is whole life insurance. Don't do that. And so that I've shut the door at that point. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Go. I, I go and I get my term. And then I never look back at that thing ever again. I, I'm like, I did that, check that box. Now I don't have to worry about it anymore. And I think that's where everybody else is at. So now but listen whole, to yourself, like, listen to what you just said. You were not wrong in one thing you said, like you weren't is term yeah. insurance. What most people should use for life insurance. Yeah. You should protect a need. You should protect something for a term of time that you need it. It's the cheapest way. I own tons of term insurance. Is whole life a terrible place to invest money? Like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman say, absolutely. It's not an investment at all. And if you put your money in a regular whole life, whew, you're going to come back to me and you're going to say, Chris, that advice you gave me was awful. Yeah. It's yeah. because I'm not talking about what Dave Ramsey is calling a whole life. I'm talking about something so different. It just, I can't call it anything else because it is at its core, a whole life insurance policy, but one that is built so different than anything you've ever seen because it's built backwards. That That's is crazy. the difference. So what you just said there, you weren't wrong. You just failed to take that extra step. Mm -hmm. You failed, like if you're out in, in the back country and you're riding and in the best cliff or powder field ever is just beyond those trees. But if you just don't take the time to just go that one additional step to the right to see what's over there, you're going to have to hear it from someone else someday that, dude, did you see that powder field yeah. or that, that, did you see that, uh, whatever that cliff over there? You're like, man, I was just there. I didn't see it. Yeah. Your eyes were close to it. That's all there is to it. No. It's been under your nose the whole time. You just missed that one additional step that you never were taught to take. So, so, so who is this? Who's this for? Is this for anybody, any, anybody that, you know, for any level of financial ability or wherewithal, 
or is it for a certain, you know, cashman or group of, of people in a certain place? Like who is this for? Who's it not for? That's a great question. So it can really be for anyone that can fog a mirror. Obviously, you have to qualify for these plans. It's not like you can just walk into the insurance company and say, hey, I want one of those banking policies. No, yeah. you have to find somebody that knows how to build them, which there's very few of us. Literally, there's I can count on both hands the people that are doing this the right way. Not, there's people doing it the wrong way and just go to Reddit and you'll hear about them. But there's yeah. people doing it the right way and there's so few of us. Uh, because in order to do this the right way, we literally have to work off of a 10% margin instead of you know the, the normal 90%. So we give up 90% of our pay to make this work. Therefore, you got to go two steps deeper and figure out that it's about volume and helping a lot of people. Yeah. So the second thing is, you know, basically, the access to get these vehicles is not easy. You can't just go to an insurance company and get them. It's, it's like a level that the banks use and that the corporations use that we have to go to. So it's just, it's there. It's just you've never been shown that it's theirs. Everybody can use this. The rules of engagement are this. Take your age times 10. I'm 43 today. Today's my birthday. So 43 times 10 means 430. That would be the bare minimum that I could put into one of these vehicles to have it even work. Now, most people are doing significantly more, but if you put less in, it won't work and we would never set the plan up for you. So that's a nice, easy gauge. And also age-wise, it doesn't matter how young you are, 70 kind of starts getting tricky after 70, but yeah. anywhere from, I don't know, let's just say 15 to 70 years old, fair game. Yeah. So, so this is awesome. It's totally blowing my mind. I thought I knew everything about insurance. I obviously don't. Um, but, uh, so, so this is so cool world. and I want to, I want I'm looking forward to doing some more research on it. Um, grab, I can I'll give grab. you a video that you can put in with this. It's a 90 minute training that will teach people exactly what this is, how it works. And there's no sales to it. It's just yeah, yeah. teaching you. So I can give that you looks, that video along with the book and you can give that to them. So it's money school, REI. So money school, REI.com forward slash masterclass hyphen replay and Perfect. that'll give you the 90 minute training and the book is the same thing just go money school rei.com forward slash new book all no no spaces and then that'll give you the book for free okay yeah we will we will make sure that's in the show notes because this is super intriguing now and i know we're going a long time here but this i is, know i'm sorry a ton of, no it's awesome this is there's a ton of stuff in this now a big part of the money maven project obviously is about investing in real estate. So talk to us about how you use this vehicle and tell us a little bit more about the, the, the real estates you have and how, and how this, uh, this insurance policy is, is helping out with that or how they, oh, how yeah. they work together. I've literally, I've I, I swear to God, I've written two books on this right here. The private money guide and the mapping out is all about how to use this with real estate. So you heard me explaining how you change that one thing. The money goes there and you take it out. So think about real estate. So what do I do? Let's say I go and I buy a duplex right now. First thing I'm going to do is I can either go to get private money to buy it, okay, which you know you could find private money, or I can go to a community bank and take out a mortgage. The bank's only going to give me 80%. So I got a 20% gap that I need to fill. What I do is I go to my banking policy, and I have seven of these banking policies. I go to it and I take a loan for the 20%. I then write a, a promissory note. I, I normally have one here on my desk, but a promissory note from me personally to my LLC, and I charge my LLC 6%. Okay, why do I charge my LLC 6%? Because I treat my money the same way that I would treat the bank's money. And if I'm gonna loan money to my company, my company's gonna pay me back with interest. So 
Wow. My company now has the 20% it needs to close the deal, plus any rehabs and closing costs. So basically, my company buys the piece of real estate. We renovate it. We, we rent it out. Now, when and only when the property is cash flowing, my company, my, my LLC that owns the real estate, writes me a check through bill pay every single month for the equivalent of whatever the loan was and 6% on that. And my company just keeps paying me that 6% out of the rent roll. If I ever sell that property, I pay my policy back the amount on the loan. Again, I just treat my money the same way I would treat the bank's money, except for I'm the bank instead of borrowing from the bank. That's one way. But then I figured it out a couple different ways. I said, you know what? Buying real estate's great, but you know what's even better? Loaning money on real estate. Because mm. I hate getting the calls on Sunday from tenants. I hate when a tenant won't do allow a showing because they're just being a jerk. So what I started doing is what I learned from Greg, that mentor I told you about. I lend money from my policies to people. I charge 12%. So now remember my money never stopped earning 4% plus dividends, which is 6.2 by this year. So I'm making 6.2. I take that money out. I lend it to, you know, Mr. Rude. I'm just going to use him as an example. And he basically uses that money to go renovate his flips and buy, do his wholesales. And I charge him 12%. Every month I get a check back for 12% interest. I put that money back in my policy. What is my overall return? Well, most people would look at it and they'd say, well, you're getting 12 from Chris and you made four over here. If that was the first year of that policy, that's what I made. But you don't understand how uninterrupted compound interest works. If you've got a plan that's over five years old, which all of mine are except for one, I'm making upward of 11% cash on cash return on my money. So I'm making 11 over here. I'm making 12 over here. In the middle, I lose five because I got to pay the insurance company 5% simple interest on the loan. What is my overall return for doing nothing more than being the bank? Do the math. I do this over and over and over again. And it doesn't happen overnight, right? I didn't all of a sudden yeah. just run into money and dump money. And this took years for me to build this up. But now the one thing that I have is I have a machine, this, this banking system, that will never, ever stop making more money. There's never a day that goes by that I have less money than I did the day before. And I don't have to work any harder for it. I simply just got to keep that money moving. The second I stop using that money, as I go back to just making that, that simple or that compound interest, I want to keep that money moving, which means I need to keep buying real estate. I need to keep loaning it. I need to keep buying cars. Uh, this book in that video will teach every one of your audience how to get all the money back for every single car you will ever buy driving on. So it's all the same thing. It's yeah. just you have to take back control of your money to be able to do this. Otherwise, wow. if you guys need money and you don't want to be in control of it, pay me 12% and I'll give you anything you need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I know who to call for my next uh, real estate deal if I need some private there you money. Go. Jeez. There you go. I, I always got stacks of them on my desk every single day. Here's the most recent one. This is a deal that was put together and I'll lend to this guy uh, from my banking policies. Wow. This is blowing my mind, man. Um, okay. So, there's got to be some risk in here somewhere. Where, where's the risk? What should yes. people be watching? Let's hit, the, let's hit the bad things, okay? The bad yeah. things are if you just go to your normal life insurance agent and you try to get them to do this, it will not be anything like what you just heard. And you'll, you'll be like, ah, oh, that Chris guy was full of shit. Excuse yeah. my language, but that's what yeah. it'll be. So there's probably some people already, there's probably some people already saying that right now. <laughs> oh, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Every single time this draws the haters out because they think yeah. they know what they don't know. And, and I got an ending quote that I'm going to give to your entire audience that will sum up exactly what that means for those people. Good. But 
the other thing too with this whole thing is, is, you know, basically the bad thing is if I put a hundred grand or let's just use 10 grand. If I put 10 grand into my banking policy, I can't just go take 10 grand right back out. I put 10 grand back, I put it in and immediately I'm going to have access to 50 to 90% of my money, depending on how we structure the plan. Yeah. So that's bad, right? The first few years, I'm not going to have 100% of my deposits available to me. So that you can look at it as a bad thing, but yeah. would you give up a little bit? Okay. Let's call it 40 to 10% of your access to your money now to basically in three years from now, have money that when you make every deposit, you can immediately take out more than what you put in. In other words, I make three years or let's go four years from now, I'd make a deposit of 10 and I go back 30 days later and I take out 11. And then I go back the next year and I put in 10 and I take out 11.5. Would you be upset with that? And if that, that number only went up and there was no way for you to ever make it go down? No. Yeah, but you true. had to give up something in the beginning, which was a couple years worth of not having access to all your money. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, the insurance companies do have a fee. It's a whopping, well, I'm going to use Mass Mutual. It's a whopping $50 per year. So there's 50 bucks a year. You got to pay the insurance company. Plus you got to pay a cost of insurance, which is boiled into every number I just used. And in the video, that cost of insurance is shown. So cost is only an issue in the absence of value. Do you want to make 11% cash on cash return on your money in, five, in the fifth year and then more every single year there and out? Well, then you wouldn't care much about that. So those are the bad things. And those are yeah. the things that you'll read about as being the negatives, but I'm putting them right yeah. out in front. They're there. That's, that's awesome. Okay, man, this has been pretty cool. So, so talk to us more about, um, uh, so tell us more about, or, or what would you say to somebody? Cause you, you have accomplished a lot that what you're doing here is pretty impressive. And what would be like, what would be your tip to somebody that's just getting started in their journey, whatever it is, whether it's being a professional snowboarder or being a real estate mogul, like whatever their journey might be, what is, what's your tip? What's your advice to somebody uh, yep. just trying to get easy. going? It's very easy. The number one thing all of you need to do step number one, and there's lots of them, but step number one, where are you going? Do you know what your perfect day looks like? Could you, if I ask you right now to, from the moment you open your eyes in the morning to the moment you close your eyes at night, can you tell me what your perfect day looks like? What does it smell like? What do you see? Who are you with? What is your entire day revolve? Every hour of every day, could you outline that to me and tell me what that is? If you can't, then you, are, you have no idea what you're working toward. You have to start with the end in mind. And the second you can tell me what your perfect day is, then what we need to do is reverse engineer that, take that back to today and figure out what you have to do today, the now, like my watch says, to get you to that perfect day. That's step number one. Don't let anyone tell you it's anything different. So you're telling people that if they're currently not living their perfect day, they've, they've got to get it figured out. They've got to step back, figure out what that perfect day is and and move in that direction, right? But there's going to be some costs, right? Maybe they've got a nine to five that they don't necessarily, mm -hmm. that's not their perfect day, right? How do you, how do you get out of that? How do you break into that? I mean, I guess kind of circles full circle back around. Yep. We talked okay. initially the risk, right? The risk we talked about earlier and dropping into that jump, regardless of what the fear might be, right? So, so yeah, talk to us about somebody that's in that position. Hey, sure. uh, you know, I've got a nine to five, don't like it, want to get out. This is my perfect day over here. I'm so far away from it. Too so they, so they know what their perfect day is. Now they're looking to know what do I do today? 
Well, you change one little thing every single day and you build upon that. Think of like if you were, if you wanted to like get, you know, you wanted to get in shape. If you started with doing 10 push-ups every day for a week and then it got easier, then you do 20. Well, that's what you're going to do. You got a nine to five or you got a, a, a job where you trade hours for dollars and you hate it. So what you need to do is every day, very small, start doing one thing every day that gets you close to your perfect day. And then add on to that each week or each month, whatever it takes. Add one thing. If it's real estate, it's easy. Start every single day. Start looking for deals. Look for off-market deals. Go to Craigslist. Go to Facebook Marketplace. If you don't have the marketing money, that's where you start. Put bandit signs out and do the same amount every single day in your first five, four, let's say four weeks. After four weeks, add one thing. Okay. Then what you can start doing is start calling Craigslist ads and start doing that. And I'm using real estate because it's easiest yeah. for me to relate to. Then yeah. start doing that and start making lists, building a database or CRM of the buyers and the sellers that you've spoken to. Then the next week, when you take a look, when you've now started saving some money from your, your nine to five, you start taking a little bit of that money and you start a direct mail campaign. And you just keep layering onto that each and every single day. It's not going to happen overnight. A lot of gurus out there that lean up against Lamborghinis and Ferraris will tell you, oh, I'll have you in your first deal in 30 days. Great. Okay. If you yeah. believe that, come on over to my house and you can ride my pet unicorn around the backyard. Like if you believe that one, then you'll believe that. So yeah. everything takes time. And if you want to get to your perfect day, it starts making small adjustments to every day, single day starting right now and then building upon that. That's how I've done it. Listen, when I was at my lowest points, I changed one thing and I did a little bit every day. Real estate wasn't easy for me. It wasn't easy at all. The first flip was a struggle. Finding money for the first flip was a nightmare, but I learned every little piece as I did it. I made every mistake in the book. You will do the same thing, but you have to start somewhere. And now with wholesaling and wholesaling, you can start with no yeah. money, really. You can yeah. do those things I just said. Print some bandit signs, spend 50 bucks, get some bandit signs, go around and put them all over the place. Understand that a week later, they'll all be gone. So you repeat that process and you put more out and you do that every single week for four weeks. And if you get one phone call off of that effort, you have succeeded. Even if that one phone call means nothing, it gives you hope. Then the next week you add one thing, Craigslist, post a, a phantom ad in Craigslist and have people start calling you, but answer the phone and talk to them. Ask them what they want, what they're looking for. It's all about what people's needs and goals are. Hey, welcome back. Um, crazy scenario. Uh, we are breaking this up into two pieces because I lost all internet service. I had a freak storm hit where I live and uh, me and me and Chris totally got disconnected. So it's like, what, a month later now? And we're, <laughs> we're finally lining our schedules back up to, uh, to finish this out. And I just re-listened to all the, con the, the, the episodes so far, and it's just it's so spot on. Tons of really great stuff. We had just started to wrap, to wind down a discussion about the perfect day idea. So tell us a little bit more about where you kind of got keyed into that perfect day and, and better understanding what it is that you want. Yeah, and that's, an, that's a great place to start. You know, the perfect day came, I didn't come up with it, just to be clear. I had a mentor, and the very first call with that mentor, he was just drilling me with questions, and he hits me with a question, you know, why do you do what you do? What are your goals? And, and I'm just rattling them off, all right, six months, you know, one year, and I thought I had all this stuff so clear, I'm like, I'm going to nail this. <clears throat> I go through all these goals, and he says, absolutely not. And I'm like, Dude, you, you just asked me what my goals were. He said, that's not why you work. He said, that's not why you're going to work and spending 13 to 15 hour days. He said, that's not why you're doing it. 
I want to know why you work. And I'm like, whoa, okay, hold on a second there, Tiger. And then it basically kind of landed and we work to live our perfect day every single day. And if you knew what your perfect day looked like from the moment you wake up and take that first look, you know, when your eyes open to the moment your eyes close at the end of the day, if that's your perfect day, why can't you live that every day? We don't work to make a million dollars. We don't work to have the big house. We don't work to have the Lamborghini. We work to live our perfect day. And yeah. when he said that to me, it became crystal freaking clear. And I immediately started thinking about everything else I've done in my life and how I visualized all these things happening. So much visualization in, on my dreams that they actually matured and became things. Because, well, you know this. I mean, thoughts are things. And for those of you that think, oh, here we go. We're going down that hocus pocus. Listen, I'm not. But I'll tell you this. It is a law of the universe. It is not some made up thing. It's just like gravity. It's just like Newton's law of, you know, things in motion stay in motion. If you think about something and you materialize it and you visualize it so deeply that you dream about it and wake up with the dreams and you always think about it, nothing else can happen but that becomes reality. Yeah. It's mathematically been proven to be that. So if that's the case, then if you knew what your perfect day was, you visualized it every single day. And I listen, I know my perfect day so well that I could, I could recite it in my sleep. And you know what started to happen? pieces of that perfect day started happening because I think about it every day. And when I figured that out, that's what I'm working toward. And I think that's what every one of you should be working for is what your perfect day is. And we want to be able to live that every day. And that's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of hustle and it's going to take you making a lot of money to be able to live that every day. Yeah, that's, I think that's crucial. I, I just, I don't think people fully understand what it is that they really want, you know, I mean, here I am. I'm just like everybody else. I've got my journal and I write down my, you know, my short term and my long term goals every morning. And I'm, you know, and they certain amount of doors, certain amount of money, certain things that I want to accomplish. But at the end of the day, all of that is about so that I can take a minute in the morning and watch my kids or kiss my kids goodbye as they go down to the, uh, the school bus stop and enjoy that moment of like, this is a great little family I've got. And like, I think that's ultimately what we're all after. It's not, it's not just to, you know, sit on the beach and do nothing forever. It's, it's, it's ultimately other little moments that, that we're truly after and being able to nail that down is going to give you more power, more motivation to make that become a reality. And uh, that's, that's powerful, man. Justin, you just nailed it, man. You just nailed it. It's not about sitting on the beach or like getting in there. You know, in your perfect day, you might have like some fancy cars in the, dri in the driveway, right? Or in the garage. Sure. And you get in and you drive it. But that's not all. Like you being able to like get up in the morning, have the freedom to kiss, you know, your, your children and, you know, goodbye and take them out to the bus stop and like enjoy that moment. Like that is freedom. Not yeah. everybody can do that because people have to abide by a set schedule. And if it doesn't work with their kids, you know, going off to school or going off yeah. to somewhere else. They can't do that. Like, yeah. don't think that these things are, are so big and grand that, you know, you have to think long and hard. No, they're simple things. The simple yeah. things in life that we don't do that we wish we could do every day. That's what you should be figuring out. That's so powerful. So where, it, it, where, where can people go to learn a little bit more about this? Is, do you, you talk about it on some of your, your platform books? Where, where could they learn a little bit more about this idea? Yeah, it's really easy. And I do. I talk about it a lot. I talk about it. it probably more than I actually think I do because I'm always thinking about it. Well, it's so, important. It's like, it's yeah. the found, it's what we all need to be understanding. I think. 
I couldn't agree more. So if people want to learn more about this and kind of hear different signs of this and different, you know, takes on this, they would go to my website, chrisnoggle.com. And then in there, there's a resources tab, or you can just do chrisnoggle.com forward slash resources, scroll down to MSTV and click on that. In there are, I don't even know how many trainings there are, but there's a whole section on mindset. And that whole section on mindset is about exactly this. Perfect. Perfect. We'll definitely describe that in the notes too. So man, this has been so awesome. It's jam packed with high value uh, information. Let's, let's ask a couple of final questions here to kind of wrap things up. What is uh, a favorite book or one that's been the most powerful in, in your life, changing your life? There's been so many books and I read too many books, but the one that will always stand out and will always remain my top is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Hands down, it's a must and that is always my top book. Very good. Very good. That is a great book. Um, so tell us, and we've, we've touched a little bit on this, but give us an idea of what's, what's your why. Like what, what is driving you? What's your why and purpose? Well, to sum it up, my why is to be America's number one money mentor. But what does that mean, right? Uh, being America's number one money mentor is my, my why. Why I'm doing this is I want people to understand how money really works. I want them to have financial freedom. And they can have that by really just changing one thing like we talked about. So if I had to just sum up what is my why, it's to serve others so that they can learn the things that nobody else will teach them. In doing that, I want to be America's number one money mentor, meaning when I when people think about money, my name comes up. Yeah, that's it. That's perfect. And you're going to help a lot of people with this message. This is so powerful. It is. So, so if they want to learn more, if they want to get in touch with you, what's, where's the best places to go? Yeah. So again, chrisnoggle.com is everything's in one place. We've made all of our trainings free. They're all on there. You just go to resources. You can get my book for free. Actually, you mind if I do something? I got a yes. challenge because go listen, folks, here's the thing. In life, you can, you can watch podcasts, you can learn all this great stuff, you can gather all this knowledge. And you know, we've all been taught that knowledge is power, but that's a lie. You see, knowledge is not power. Application of knowledge is power. Taking action on knowledge, that's power. So let me challenge all of you. How about if I give you something for free, but you have to do one thing for that? So what you have to do, and I'm going to give you my book. This book, Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery, will absolutely change your financial future. And I'm not just saying that because I think the book's good. I know it will. If you apply what that book teaches, it will change your financial future. So go to chrisnoggle.com forward slash resources, two mouse swipes, and you'll see free book. Click on the free book, enter your information, pay for the shipping to get it to your house. And that is you taking action. Then the next step that's in your car. That's in your court. You have to take action on what you learn. But at least by doing that one challenge and getting you to take action to get the book, that's step number one. So that's how you learn about me. Perfect. So we'll, we'll, we can find, just learn more with the free book. That's easy. We can, uh, chrisnoggle.com, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, where else? Uh, you, YouTube, hands down. Everywhere. So listen, I put all my time and energy into YouTube these days. Okay. My Instagram's big and you know, I'm, I'm really pushing for 100,000 followers by the end of this year. But that's just, YouTube's just, you know, I put stuff on there every day. But YouTube, or I'm sorry, Instagram. YouTube is where I put my best stuff and it's all free. So you want to really learn about what we do, go to my YouTube channel, subscribe and devour yeah. And recently you've been like straight up standing in front of a whiteboard, really breaking things down. I, I've noticed a few coming through. That's, 
that looks pretty awesome. So thank you. Okay. All right. That's how we get, to, that's how we learn more. That's how we get in touch. If you have bonus question here, I always like to ask this because I'm always curious as to what people are doing to give back and, and to make the world a better place around them on a micro level, macro level, whatever. But what is it? What's one thing that you're currently doing or maybe something that you intend or, or want to do uh, at the appropriate time to, to give back? I do a lot. I mean, I truly believe that you got to help other people get what they want to get what you want. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, but the biggest thing I do is I make all of my trainings free and people say I'm crazy for that, but I do because I think that that's a way of giving back. And I know that one of the most powerful things is if I could just get you to understand how all this works, it will change your entire life. That's one way. And then I love kitty cats. I, I know you don't dislike me if you're a dog person, but I love cats. We donate a ton of money to an organization called the 10 Lives Club, which helps stray cats and you know all sorts of animals. But that's I'm just so going to cool. focus on the kitties. Yeah, I love that. See, that's it's what a I tiny love. little thing, man. It's yeah, that's what I love. Thing. Uh, but I love asking that question because everybody's got a different thing that they're they're passionate about and they want to give back to. And I just love all the ideas, man. It's so cool. It's and the, I think it's the ultimately, cats, man. as <laughs> as you help other people succeed and get more financially stable and understand finances, now they get to go do certain things. Maybe now instead of for the cats, for the dogs or whatever. Right now, the whole the whole world, the whole, you know, our whole atmosphere be, begins to rise because everybody's got the means to do, to give back and to, to take care of others and to make the world a better place. And ultimately yeah. that's, that's, that's the biggest win for everybody is as we all succeed. So what is man, the quote? All, all boats rise with the tide. Yeah. Is, is that how it says? Like, yeah, the, the rising tide that? lifts all boats. Exactly. Thank you. So that's it. So as you go about, um, teaching people and, and, and challenging a lot of the stuff that they've learned, uh, teaching them truly how to succeed with money. You know, you're, you're lifting everybody up. It, 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 in, it in turn lifts me up and anybody in any corner of the world, we're, we're improving the world that way. And so I love this day and age where we can get, just get this information out there. And for a lot of it's, it's free. I mean, this podcast is free and your content is free and you, we just got a free book apparently too. So like, that's so cool. And I, I ultimately think that's what, that's how we can change the world in, in the fastest manner. So Chris, man, it's been so powerful. Thank you so much for your time jumping on. I have learned a lot. I've been, I've been impacted for the better for sure too, man. I appreciate it. Oh, man, you're a rock star. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share some of this with your audience. And thank you for letting me share it with you and spending the time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Money Maven Project podcast. A true maven shares knowledge with others. So be sure to share this podcast and leave a review. Thanks so much. And until next time, live life with intention.